Today's scripture reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. So great to have you here. Uh, Super Bowl caring next weekend, as Pastor Mark said, and as we think about Super Bowl, uh, on this very day, 35 short years ago, the Bears dominated the Patriots 46 to 10. It was on this actual day. Can you believe it was that long ago? We're long-suffering fans. Should we have a moment of silence, Bears fans, just to commemorate the fact that that was three and a half decades ago now? Oh my goodness. We do want to uh, challenge you uh, to match the three pastors' families. Uh, 97 families give $100 and match the challenge. Um, We'll have met our goal. And we have 600 homes in this church, so I'm doing simple math. That would be one-sixth of our homes. I think we can do it. So I want to put that on you and have you pray about that. We're finishing up a series um, behind our Facebook Lives, part four. I'm not as happy as I appear, and that means on social media. Um, I'm going to steal a little bit from uh, one of my favorite comics, Jerry Seinfeld, who did a bit on this, but really I live this too, so if you're familiar with this bit, it's, it, it's because... You've, you've heard it, but you've also probably lived it. How many of you are old enough to have lived or remember the old Halloween costumes with the plastic mask, the holes, and the rubber band that held it on your head? First couple of years, I got to put the sheet on, cut out the eyes. I got to, you know, got to play these things, but then I begged and begged and begged. And from a lower middle class family, this was a big deal to get the box with the, the cellophane opening to show you the mask, right? And I got to be the one in the middle. Finally, I got to be Batman. Uh, I opened up the box and I put the mask on right away. That's what you do first. And you realize it doesn't fit that well. And then you have this one-piece jumper thing made out of the cheapest fabric known to humankind that if you're you're lucky doesn't rip about, you know, half hour into your trick-or-treating. On the Superman box, it actually says on the side, don't attempt to fly. And we put the mask on. And we put the, the, the one-piece cheap fabric thing on, and I tell you, in that moment, I became the caped crusader. I put on the mask, and I was Bruce Wayne, the Dark Knight. Running around trick-or-treating with my friends, you realize quickly with that mask, it's going to break at about the third house, because that rubber band is made of the cheapest rubber known to 
mankind, and then it breaks, and you can't, as a little kid, put it back in that staple. So what you do is you loop it through an eye hole, and then the mask gets tighter, and now it's stuck on your face. And I believe the creators of the Star Wars series got their influence for Darth Vader's breathing because they went trick-or-treating in one of these masks. And then what happens? The moisture starts to build up. And this was the first time I think I actually, as a kid, smelled my own breath. It was not a good experience. The mask, for a brief moment, while neighbors handed out the free candy, I was someone else. Social media gives us a mask. We're not careful. We present a side of ourselves that may be very much a part of who we are, but it's certainly not the whole story. We present ourselves to others, often in social media, like life is a bed of flowers, a bed of roses. We are living the life. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Some people do post their hurt and their struggles, but For the most part, studies show that over 90% of posts in social media are positive. We filter. We selfie. We go places we don't even want to go just so we can let others know we're there. We present ourselves in a way to our friends and our colleagues and our neighbors in a way that pretty much shows the bed of roses more than it does the real authentic suffering and trials and challenges of life. One of the things that I really appreciate about my Connect Group here is the opportunity to gather regularly with my small group and be real. In a social media world, these opportunities are few and far between. I get to be real. I get to come around the table, and one of the things we do before we get into our our scripture study together is we share what we call highs and lows. I know our youth group does this. I know our H2H kids do this when when they break out into their small groups. And we share our highs and we share our lows. It's not just the highs. Yes, we want to celebrate. Yes, there's great things happening in our own lives, but the powerful moment in my Connect group is when the guys go around and we share lows and we talk about what's really going on and we share our struggles. You see, behind a social media appearance, behind all the filters, behind all the teeth whitening, behind all the fake backgrounds, behind all the stuff we're doing to present ourselves is a narrative, a story of a life that celebrates highs and lows. And to be real about the lives behind social media is to be real about our spirituality and to be real about our faith before God. That's what our parable presents to us today. A chance to put all the facades aside, to put all the filters away, and come before God as our true selves. When a community of faith is authentic, 
when a community of faith like Alleluia can be real with one another, that's when we can minister to one another. How do we know how to minister to one another when we, we don't know what's going on in each other's lives? When we're not real with one another. So let's go back to the parable. Will you turn with me to Luke 18, verse 9? Let's jump in our Bibles and let's go, we're literally going to take a couple verses at a time. In Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus, uh, the actual, the gospel writer is going to set up Jesus telling the parable. Let's see what he writes. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and confident in the Greek really translates relying on themselves. So those who were relying on themselves of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone. I, again, our translation is kind of softening it for us. The, the look down on is, the, the Greek is really despising everyone else. So it really reads in the Greek, to some who were relying on themselves for their own righteousness and despised everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Relying on yourself for your own righteousness. Hmm. Charles Spurgeon, the English uh, great preacher uh, back in the day, has a quote on that. Can we bring that quote up? He says, The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Let's, let's read it one more time. The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes people look to themselves for salvation. What is he saying? The greatest enemy of your soul, your faith, is to believe that you can be righteous enough. It's a fantastic quote. And the two guys in our parable couldn't be any more different. Let's see who they are. In verse 10, Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let's pause and make sure we know who we're talking about here. The Pharisee is the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were looked towards as those who had their spiritual house in order, those who led and oversaw the religious happenings of the day. Those who everyone knew, knew God's laws back and front, front and back, wore the priestly garb, had the place of honor at, at the banquets, um, were the ones who always lived righteous lives according to God's law and taught God's law accordingly. Conversely, the tax collector... In Jesus' day, there was no more despised profession than the tax collector. Why? Because Rome was occupying God's people's land. And not only were they occupying their land, they were appointing tax collectors in different districts to collect taxes from God's people and then give them to Rome, pass them on to Caesar. So not only were the tax collectors taking God's people's money in their own land and passing it on to Caesar, 
They were known for having a reputation of once they paid Caesar the amount he expected for every district periodically, they lined their pockets with the rest. It was embezzlement at its rawest form. They took other people's money, lined their pockets, started to live these lavish lifestyles, and the people despised them for it. Imagine... We uh, complain a lot about paying our own country's taxes. Imagine if we were living here and another country was, ta- was, was um, overseeing us and took over our land and made us pay them. And the people who took our money were paying them and then lining their pockets with the leftovers. These are the two people who went to pray. What happens? Go back to the text. We meet the Pharisee. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Complete arrogance. Arrogance. Full of himself. Self-righteous, standing before God. Thank you that I'm not like that guy. We roll our eyes at this Pharisee because he's puffing himself up. He's exalting himself before God. He's putting his list together in prayer of how great he is. And I turned to three uh, theologians and looked at their commentaries on this text this past week, and the one thing they all said about this guy is he wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. He was letting himself know just how good he is and how righteous he is by his works and what he does. So we roll our eyes at this guy, but let's think about it for one second. This is a series about being real and authentic. If we're honest, aren't we just like this guy a lot of the time ourselves? I will admit it. Aren't we just like him in our daily lives sometimes? Example, you're watching the news at night. Story comes on. You watch them interview someone who's gone through something difficult or a tragedy or they've done something wrong or they know someone who's done something wrong and you think to yourself, oh man, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm better than they are. At least I don't do that. And we do that. We become the Pharisee in this parable. When we really think about it, when we unpack it, we stretch it out just a little bit. I'm better than most people. I do good. I'm, I'm a good person. That makes me in better standing with God, doesn't it? Thank you, God, that I'm not like everybody else. It's a slippery slope. It's a dangerous slope to be on. But if we're raw, honest, sometimes we're just like him. Found a cartoon. Uh, Ancient Greeks are walking around with their cell phones, which makes it funny anyway. And the guy says, not again, it's another selfie from Narcissus. Narcissus, if you know your Greek uh, mythology, is uh, 
a guy who fell in love with his own good looks, and it killed him. Narcissistic, we get the term from that. It's at the center of the dartboard of a lot of social media. Social media is about me. It's about me presenting me to the world. It's about me presenting my best self to the world instead of putting my phone down and looking around me to meet the needs of others. Luke 13. Let's meet the tax collector. Hear his prayer. Tax collector stood at a distance. Remember how despised this person is as Jesus is saying the even two words, tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even look up. Couldn't bring himself before God, in the presence of God in prayer, to even look God's way. Pure humility. Pure humility. There is a word that describes a prayer posture that dates back to Martin Luther, the, the German monk who launched the Reformation in the 16th century. It's, it's um, prostrate. So it's, it's laying face down on the floor with your nose to the ground and your arms spread out. And I'm going to do something very odd. I'm going to suggest if you're physically able... No, not right now. To do this later today or later in the week, find a time where you can be alone. Don't do this in the break room at work. It will make people look at you kind of weird. But find a place where you can just go and be alone with God and prostrate yourself in a posture of prayer. It's very uncomfortable. It's very humbling. But it is amazing how it changes your prayers. It's amazing how being in that physical position can influence what you pray to God. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we're broken, when we're hurting, when we need to surrender. In 2004, I had a series of things happen in my life that just spiraled. My dad died suddenly without warning. Uh, months, within months, a, f- a friend I thought was a friend betrayed me, um, and it was hurtful. And a spiral of other things happened right away in a series. And I went in the church I was serving late at night, and I prostrated myself on the floor, a tile floor. I put my nose down. I put my arms out. And I said, God, I can't. I can't control this. I'm broken. Part of this is stuff happening in my life. Part of it's because of me. I surrender. It's a position of humility and surrender. And I encourage you to do it because it puts us in this physical place which influences our verbal prayers to a God who wants our authentic selves and not our self-righteousness, but our prayers asking for mercy and grace. James 4 puts it this way. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Pharisees not humbling himself at all in his prayer. The tax collector is. So let's see Jesus' summary in 14. Luke 18, 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Justified is a big church word, but it, you know, if you think about the print and word processing where you have the chance to justify the text, it makes both the left and right hand column perfectly straight. To be justified is to be made right. So to be made, made right, be made justified with God, to play out this metaphor, is to be made right before God. And so Jesus says it's the guy, it's the tax collector who went home justified, made right before God. Not the guy boasting about all the things he's done. Our righteousness doesn't come from what we've done. Our righteousness comes from God who forgives us through faith by grace. Romans 5, 1 summarizes it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not what we do. We do God's work because we're already saved. We do God's work because Jesus died for us. And our lives are a living testimony to what Jesus has done for us. Not to earn salvation, not to be justified or made righteous before God, but to live lives for him to the best of our ability. I tripped over a book just a couple years ago, a really small book by a pastor and author, Andy Stanley, and I love it. It's called, How Good is Good Enough? And um, he has a quote near the end of the book, and he says, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Let that sink in just for a second. The Pharisee is pretty good. The tax collector was broken and a sinner. Who went home justified before God in their prayer? He writes in his book that every culture defines good differently. So who gets to say what good is. What, my, what we might think in the Western civilization is good, over in the Middle East, it, in areas, it's not. And what they think is good, here we'd, we'd go, oh my goodness, that's not good. So what is, the, what is the measuring stick for good, he writes. And even past that step, even if we figure out what good is, what percent do we need to be justified? How many good work? 70% good? 75, 76% good? See, what it all comes down to is the cross of Jesus Christ. And as people of faith, we turn to the cross for God's righteousness to be imparted to us. Paul writes, so no one can boast. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And do you know on the cross, something happened where Jesus lives out the parable he just taught us. He's being crucified between two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And one of them starts mocking Jesus. And the other says, don't you fear God 
We're getting what we, you know, deserve. This man's done nothing. We're getting what we deserve, the punishment for our sinfulness. We're, we're, don't you fear God? And then he turns, the one who said that, back to the one who mocked Jesus, turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response is, today you will be with me in paradise. You, today, you will be with me. His response was, no, you weren't good enough. No, you're a criminal dying for your sins, being punished justly for your sins. He's saying, you will be with me today in paradise. And when we echo the prayer of the tax collector and we come before God as a person of faith, broken, sinful, authentic, and we turn to God and we say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you listen carefully enough, the Holy Spirit of God will echo the words of Jesus Today, you'll be with me in my Father's kingdom. Jesus concludes, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which prayer of these two men are you praying May we pray? Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Renew us. And lead us. According to your will. For your Son Jesus' sake, Help us to live lives filled with celebration, but also embracing our sinfulness and brokenness and our authentic selves. Lord, send us out to be your people in the world. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, remember us. Lord, have mercy. Amen.